Welcome to Escape the Earth, where a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We're supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation, so a big shout out to them. Thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to do this. I'm Tim, and with me today, the other crew members are Alyssa. Hi, everybody. And Mary Elizabeth. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about T.L. Huchu's Library of the Dead, and I did make sure that I'm pronouncing that name correctly, T.L. Huchu. That seems to be fairly unanimous across the web. Um, Before we get into that, though, we just want to warn everybody about a couple of things. The first thing is there are spoilers in this. We go into this assuming that you've read the book, and we aren't going to tiptoe around things or stutter step around things. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come back to us. It's a podcast. That's the great thing about podcasts. You can do that. We truly believe you'll get more out of it if you've read the book. And we need to also warn that sometimes the subject matter is not going to be for youngling years. This is geared towards adults, and we're not potty mouths or anything, but sometimes the subject matter may take us into sensitive discussion. So, anyway. T.L. Huchu, as advertised on the Macmillan author page, has been published previously as Tendai Huchu in the adult market, but the Edinburgh Nights series, which is where the Library of the Dead starts, it's number one in Edinburgh Nights, is his genre fiction debut. His previous books, The Hairdresser of Harar and The Maestro, The Magistrate and the Mathematician have been translated to multiple languages. His short fiction has won awards. Tendai grew up in Zimbabwe, but has lived in Edinburgh in most of his adult life. That's from his Macmillan author page. And from his Wikipedia page, I also learned that he is apparently a podiatrist in Edinburgh. So if you have an ingrown toenail, perhaps he can tell you a story while he takes care of it. <laughs> so, Library of the Dead follows the story of Ropa, who's a 14 year old girl. She dropped out of school to help support her grandmother, who's getting up there in years and is, I gather, partially blind. And she has a little sister. There's no word of really what her parents are doing or where her parents are. She's all we know is that she's supported by her grandmother or really supports her grandmother and her sister um she earns a living by talking to ghosts and delivering messages from the afterlife to living relatives it seems harmless enough until the dead begin to whisper that someone's bewitching children leaving them as husks empty of joy and life and ropa gets sucked into investigating this and It takes her down a path that she really doesn't expect. The Goodreads book synopsis is where I get most of this from, and it says that she'll dice with death, she'll discover an occult library and a taste for hidden magic, she'll also experience dark times for Edinburgh hides a wealth of secrets, and Ropa's going to hunt them all down. So that's where we'll start off. Who wants to go first? Um, I'll give you my, my first impressions. 
I had a initially reading it. I, I've discussed this with others before that I had a hard time with getting into the book initially because the language is so rich with slaying from Scotland. <laughs> I did eventually settle into it and was able to like, okay, I know what's going on here. I can, I can follow along. <laughs> but, but initially it was a little rough getting just my, myself into it. But I find that it's a very um, compelling world build. The idea that there's magic in it, like not just the talking with the dead, but like, you know, creating fire out of nowhere and, uh, and this, the secret society of of magicians or wizards or magic users. I thought it was really interesting. So yeah, that's what I was left with. Like, oh, wow, this is really, this is really an interesting world. I'd like to dip my toes back into it again. I have to agree. I really felt like the book had a lot of potential. The world is very interesting. The language and the tone is, it's, it's very compelling. Like the character, the way she speaks in the book is, it's so slangy and informal and teen. And, yeah. um, and it draws from like punk kind of punk culture mixed with Scotland and Scottish culture. I, I found it very interesting, very engaging, but at the same time, I really wanted a lot more from this book than it actually delivered. Yeah. It, it, um, it opens all these really interesting kind of, there's all these interesting components of the plot, but I feel like in order for me to be really satisfied at the end of the book, the author needs to spend more time in some of these places, some mm -hmm. of these, these, the different things that he created. Right. And it is a first book to a series. So maybe there are more tie throughs the further into his, the series that it goes, this, the other series isn't completed yet, but, but I did find it easy to kind of put the book down and walk away and then go, Oh my gosh, I have to finish reading that book. I didn't, wasn't drawn to like, I have to know what happens next. Cause there are so many short breaks throughout that I'm like, Oh, okay. I can, I can go away now. Like, you know, you're supposed to be drawn to what's happening to these children. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't compelling. No. I didn't find it compelling either. Unfortunately. No. Interesting. <laughs> It's interesting. Yes. So the world has this sort of strange mixture of like, it's almost like the world is working backwards in some ways. People live in a lot of cases in like tent cities. Uh, we see a couple of those that she goes to, uh, one of which bears the name Camelot. So pulling in the Arthurian legends and that's where I find like the story really starts to pick up, but it is like 200 pages into the book mm -hmm. before, before you get to Arthur Lodge. When she goes to the tent city in Camelot is when you really find out that, oh, there's another child who's missing. I, I didn't see any hint before that, that it was any, any child other than Ollie, the one that she initially starts looking for at the behest of one of the, uh, ghosts that she's had interactions with right yeah she's because that uh the ollie plot line the i think Nic nicola is the mother's name the ghost that is trying to get ropa to to find her son it's not until it becomes personal with ropa that she's really like adamant i need to figure out what's happening with these kids i didn't know there was more than one kid and for some reason she saw she saw that one boy where she broke into the house where we had that great scene in the bathroom 
<laughs> and then where she's stuck in there while somebody's using the toilet. <laughs> I actually really have gross. that page marked. Oh, <laughs> so someone comes in while she's breaking into the house. She's broken into the bathroom and someone comes to use the bathroom right as she's just gotten through the window. And so she quickly closes the shower curtain. And the description is the sounds, the horrors, the Luftwaffe of dropping bombs on God-fearing villages, chemical attacks by banned nerve agents. I endure it all, my dicky ticker pounding a while. Now I'm thinking I should have locked the door because that have brought me enough time to abort the mission amateur move <laughs> so i do like some of ropa's descriptions um, yes <laughs> that is yes, that is the best part of the book in my really opinion or the, the way that she the way that huchu writes her is great her descriptions and slang and yeah that's it that's, yeah that's she's a great sweet character part. yeah the there's the motivation behind the character isn't quite there for me but she's a great character um Maybe in the long run, she will because she is devoted to her family and making sure that that they have what they need. She feels responsible for her grandmother and they live in a caravan. It's kind of a weird world where it's post-apocalyptic. I don't know what the apocalypse is, what the what the inciting incident was to make this world go upside down. But yeah, there's like really huge gap between wealth and poverty and um they live on some farmer's land she calls him the troll when he comes looking for rent um but yes it, it's not until until she finds a child that she knew when she was at working with that gang in Camelot that that she was, that she it becomes more personal to her that she she wants to help find these children and what's going on with these kids because now there's three now that she's that are on her radar and that's kind of what makes it a, a bit more impactful was her mm-hmm. her knowing katie katie right yeah I, yeah but that's like way into the book <laughs> it is like finally like determined to, to to help the children yeah all these other plot threads open before you get to the main the main part of the story that actually gets resolved within this book yeah yeah i was you- uh, for a while also like when is she gonna find the library the whole thing is library of the dead (laughs) when is she gonna get there (laughs) um but i do like it when she gets there (laughs) but there are so many other interesting things that happens as she goes on her ghost talking yeah you know even the very first scene that you come into where she's in this kind of rich scottish household where she's like oh they have the heat on so hot. I could take my jacket off and go yes. around in my t-shirt. Like you can, like, it really speaks to like the gap between her world poverty and these people that she's um, working for and, and re- like, she's expelling a poltergeist for them. Right. And so you come right into the action and like the interest and um, oh, yeah. the, just that the rich description of this character sitting around in her uh, green dreadlocks and black lipstick in this really posh house with these kind of stiff Scottish people that have this ghost <laughs> problem. And they're like in the kitchen. Can she really do it? I don't know. And she's like, I can hear you. <laughs> I love, she lets them know, love you that. know she's 14 <laughs> at the end. She nips out. She's like, I'm almost 15. <laughs> she's just so sassy. Yes, <laughs> she's very grown up for her age. I guess she had to grow up quickly. I she do said. feel like, yeah, there's a lot of really great um, elements of this world that are fully developed, but then other parts that I just wish, oh, what's going on there <laughs> that we don't come back to. I I went back and reread the first three chapters, maybe, and there is an encounter with police 
and how they're corrupt in this world because they they'll just you know whoever has the most money they steal her money because she can't hold on to it for some reason they're like i'm just gonna take this from you and she just gives it up and we don't have any more interactions with the i thought there might be like another encounter with them somewhere where oh, maybe i don't know they actually come to the rest like you know arrest somebody or they have to fight them or something but that kind of that that plot line just is on pause for the rest of the book it seems like you know talking about the world and the way that it's constructed it seems like there's been almost like a trifecta of forces that have impacted it and one is ecological because they keep talking about the new lock and how it has drowned the buildings and streets that used to be there and there are no animals or sighting an animal is very rare and virtually as soon as somebody sees one they kill it to to bring it home for dinner and there is a scene where after arthur lodge she sees a duck a mallard and she decides not to kill it but there's also been political upheavals too so they have this weird little greeting and every time they do it it's very awkward god save the king long may he reign and um, it seems like there have been some dissidents Uh, she does talk about some dissidents being executed for refusing to acknowledge the uh the king's ability to rule or right to rule so you have those elements and then the poverty element as well and the police are are possibly a manifestation of that too i mean the it's like a a whole corrupt society people living by selling drugs by thieving and and the police are on the grift it honestly didn't seem too far off from the world we live in with some of those things i mean i felt like it was a very near future near future possible a lot of those things are happening in our world you know the drug use the thieving the humic trafficking it was like turned up you know but the the idea of a police shaking down um a young person of color not really uh not not really outside the purview of things that happen in our world today unfortunately yeah i agree yeah so it, it does seem like there are a lot of threads all over the place. So we have the stolen bike thread and we have the missing children thread and the, um, and at the beginning, it's, it's almost like Hucho's trying to find what story he wants to tell. It does kind of seem like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then there's a, the whole element of her trying to learn magic and her grandmother tries to teach her some magic and she doesn't get it. And then, and then she goes to the library and tries to learn magic there and she still doesn't quite get it, but she's kind of understanding a little bit more. I like how she keeps trying to learn, even though she's not in school anymore. She listens to audiobooks. She tries to make sure that she's got a lot of uh, like a full view of what an argument is. (laughs) I thought that was really, really interesting to keep that in there. You're right, she does. And throughout, there are a lot of references that you wouldn't expect. This is where she kind of doesn't ring true to me, but there are a lot of references Mm. that you wouldn't expect out of a 14-year-old girl, like referencing she had a cut over her eye after the Arthur Lodge thing, and she 
said felt like Frazier stung her. And I don't I don't know if I'm reading this correctly, but I think of like Joe Frazier, the boxer, who <laughs> was even like kind of before our time. I mean, like yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and then referencing, you know, being Jesse Owens, uh, spl- sprinting in the Olympics, knowing that Adolf Hitler's watching from the balcony. So a lot of references like like that that you know don't seem like they come from a 14 year old girl but do seem like they come from somebody who appreciates learning and history so mm-hmm. but the pace is really slow i do is, i do see that a lot yeah, yeah. it's episodic I, I think yes. it's i think you know as i was reading about huchu i saw that he was a short story writer and so possibly he's still if he's used to writing in that mode, it kind of, it comes through in this book where there's, it's almost like a series of vignettes, one after the other, things are, are pretty well encapsulated and, mm-hmm. and just not really fully woven through enough for me for a, like a strong, cohesive whole. Right. Like maybe there's too many setups that he's using to set up the rest of this world. There's the introduction of his, the grandmother, not his grandmother, her grand her grandmother's powers and how she was taken one time to go expel a ghost at some farm somewhere uh when she was white when she was super young um and then but we never quite come back to that then there's the whole plot with the with the scarf which does come back to bring something to the story later on but initially you know she just handed the scarf by her benefactor who saved her from being killed in the library (laughs) <laughs> which was very I was like oh this is how the book ends she dies right here <laughs> and she tries to give it away right yeah she's just gonna have her grandmother fix it so she can sell it she's very practical the this character Ropa she's very like okay I can make I can make some money off of this scarf but then she's like I guess I'll keep it because it, it, it saves my life when it wants to <laughs> and then um and then that subplot or that not plot, but that just vignette of her step grandfather, I guess. And but we don't get any backstory of like her mother, her father, except for when she's pulled into that house that the brownie isn't is has magically enthralled. She's pulled in there because she thinks she sees her mother. So maybe her mother's still alive, but we never come back to that. There's just a lot of little things here and there that are like, whoa, but wait, <laughs> what's, what's going on with those other stories? And I guess that's why we need to come back and see what else he, he writes so we can get more information about the, this world he's building. Maybe this is just one big info dump of a book. Maybe that's what it is, because I did enjoy the, the story, but it's just every now and then I'm like, I don't really need to come back to it. It wasn't compelling. Like we've oh gosh! But let's talk about that creepy house. Oh like gosh. this is where this is where the book just it crosses so many genres for me. There's <laughs> elements of horror. You've got the sci-fi setting. You've got the fantasy with the magic. But this house, this experience where she goes into the house trying to find where um, where they're taking the kids. It's just That's terrifying. I, she goes into this icky cellar. Yeah, I could not put the book down at this part. This was a great part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she goes into that creepy cellar and it's full of goo and she's down there and she's hurt and she's like, what's going on? And then uh-huh. that guy, Wilson, the butler, comes in and drags her out and yeah. stuffs her into a maid costume with this other kid. Like, you're just like, oh God, there, this is horrifying. Even, like, there's even like body horror in it and, <laughs> with the with him getting like 
fingers cut off and all sorts of things like oh my god and like her constantly seeing you the, can go, the tethers you can go outside but only as far as your intestines will reach yes it's so gross I, it's really great <laughs> it's very gross very visceral not very not gross. not my genre not my flavor i was like oh oh no no i don't Butter. think i could do a whole book of that but it was really great that it was dropped in there <laughs> it was like oh my gosh um and then even how she defeats the brownie where she's able because she she does what is it called astral projection astral projection where and so she is able to pull him into the ever ever the, everywhere or every there every there that's it's where it's the called. every she there pulls, yes, the every, the every there. there she pulls him into the every there where the ghosts just kind of wait before they go on to the next plane of existence for themselves <laughs> she pulls him into there and then those vocor just eat it for days while it's alive i guess i don't know it's gross but it's just like wow that was intense <laughs> but yeah, that but does think- show why that earlier scene happened yes yes that did set up from from that earlier scene and so there are scenes where it's like okay there was a payoff with that scene and then other places where it's like well we never came back to this other thing <laughs> yeah. do you think he wrote the house scene first and then had to go back and Right, the and write the rest scene. of the book. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, hmm. maybe. I don't know. It'd be interesting to ask him how he how he writes. Like, do you write an outline? Do you? <laughs> um, What's your process? How do you get to the end? <laughs> I do like that she finally uh, is able to used magic i didn't quite understand it and i had to reread it like so i get she's using magic finally but it was very just sort of ethereal in her use of like i don't know there's like no like she's so tangible in her understanding of magic and then all of a sudden she thinks of prometheus and she's like i can do it now (laughs) she's able to set the lady on fire (laughs) but you know what she seemed to keep reading over and over to me and what the magicians in her life were telling her was like you can't just conjure it out of nowhere it has to be something that already has the potential to happen all you can do is like speed it up or slow it down that's what her grandmother tells her that's what priya tells her that's what calendar tells her like you know like i can because he's got the ice in the glass and he's like i can i can make the ice melt faster or i can refreeze it but i can't you know i can't do something that's outside the the laws of nature yeah so there's a real scientific approach to magic conservation of matter like you're explaining that that that's fresh for me i haven't seen that anywhere else have you all seen that in other books that you've read i really enjoyed that yeah i i've often thought about it like when i read the laws of thermodynamics and applying that to like a uh, a spiritual vent you know like our bodies are made of energy and energy can't be created or destroyed so it does seem like those things could really coexist and i just always wondered why they don't seem to (laughs) (laughs) why don't we have magic (laughs) what's the first thing you would do if you had magical powers oh that's a good question i think i might um like to teleport things to me <laughs> like oh man i sat down i'm ready to start watching tv and i forgot the remotes on the table ah 
like to force will it to me, things like that, where I could <laughs> move things around would be great. <laughs> I could wash the dishes without having to be in the kitchen. <laughs> Get all the dirt off of my carpet so I don't have to vacuum. <laughs> I would like to be able to move matter <laughs> without physically moving matter. <laughs> Alyssa would like to conjure the Battenberg cake. Oh, I would not be sad about conjuring the Battenberg cake. <laughs> oh, that was a really good <laughs> That was another scene that was really great. They're just a really great little scenes. <laughs> that was my, I mean, that was my, my favorite scene from the book. And it, it came right before that scary scene that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So it's a real contrast in what that author can write. That, te- that scene with the Battenberg cake is, is so tender. And it's almost like, because Ropa is so brash, you get to see this other side of her in the scene where, so she is working for a ghost uh, named Mrs. Drummond, not Ms. Drummond, Mrs. Drummond, who's like an older lady that was a baker. And she is going to depart or impart her last recipe to her son and his partner. So they go to the house and they live in this posh little house and they make the Battenberg cake together. And you see Ropa like dipping her finger into the batter and tasting the batter. And it's this really sweet scene where once the cake is complete, um, Mrs. Drummond can move on and she ascends like into the into the beyond. She goes into the what they call it, the fields with the long grass, oh, right? which yeah, is the kind of how they represent it. the 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 heaven place of the afterlife in this in this book. And so there's this, you know, she can do these really great things about helping people pass on, but she's not focused on to me what is her strength being able to do this for you know, ghosts and people like clearing out the poltergeist. She's so focused on, I got to do this fire magic. Her grandmother wants to do this earth magic, learn to put up a shield, be protective. She's like, no, I just want to blow things up. Yeah. (laughs) Just want to get it done. I guess that goes to her practicality. I just need to get it done. (laughs) Also a very 14 year old approach. (laughs) Set it on fire. Burn it all down. Yeah, <laughs> which is probably if I had magic abilities, not that I have a 14 year old mentality, but depending on the day, I might be wanting to blow things up with my magical ability. Maybe that's why we don't have magic in this world. I think, I think a lot so. of us would be, you know, video you know games done with this. <laughs> video games really appeal to me because I get to blow things up with sparkles. <laughs> so that ought to tell you about where my mentality is. Well, and, you know, so many people have had those moments on Twitter or Facebook that they wish they could delete. If you had magic, how would you delete it? (laughs) Sorry, I blew up the library today. I'll fix it tomorrow. (laughs) So, confession time. I'm 70 pages away from finishing. (gasps) Oh! Where's that? (laughs) Where are you in your story? (laughs) Okay, so they were, I guess, in the flesh market because they're seeking out the milkman and they found the dealer, Paul, and they're offering him a trade, the, the jar of milk for information on where the milkman can be found because the milkman is this character that's carting the children off and the milk inside the jar whenever it's consumed makes people i guess go kind of childlike they take off their clothes and dance around it's like ecstasy times 10 
<laughs> right. And then a ghost comes booga woogering her, uh, oh, yeah. which causes her to fall out of the way of a vehicle that then careens into the drug dealer who had just been telling her how dangerous it is to mess with the milkman. Oh, and yes. The, and it's the milk float. It's and the milk it is float. a milk. It took me a while to feel I was like, is it like a parade float? <laughs> I, I had to it. go Google a milk float so that I could see a picture of it, but it's like a truck front. And has kind of a flat back bed where you can store the milk containers. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense than what I envisioned throughout it the rest kind of, of the looks story. Like a, it kind of looks like a food truck. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I was literally envisioning a parade float that was jacked up to be able to, oh gosh, to like zoom around the whole city. That was a great scene. That chase scene where she and Priya on her poor little wheelchair i love the representation in this book there's got tria P- uh, priya wait is it priya it's it priya. Is priya okay <laughs> great <laughs> where has got priya where she's in her wheelchair and but she's not diminished in any way she's so still wonderful powerful and um we we don't have we don't look this the story doesn't have us looking through the eyes of like Oh no, she's in a wheelchair for about four. No, she's like she's free and moving around everywhere, and also the represent for with the with the characters where she's helping with the cake. Um, there are two men who are married and living together, and we don't think twice about that either. It's wonderful, but that chase scene was really great. They're just zooming all over downtown Edinburgh, wherever the in near I don't know wherever they are, <laughs> and, and zipping zip, zipping through. Um, stairwells and and it's just really really um i liked it i liked it i was like oh this is exciting <laughs> and then then how they both sort of take down the milkman well i guess they they incapacitate him and they steal the truck no wait do, do they steal the truck the scarf incapacitates the, the milkman they fall down the stairs to together life. priya gets taken like she gets knocked out yeah and then ropa breaks her arm and the milkman is throttling her and the, and the scarf, scarf arms come up and, and like, strangle yeah. the milkman and knock him out so that and then she scoops up Priya and they get out of there and they get repaired and they go to the hospital and then they're like they got the they are they do they take off with the milk float yeah 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 that they do take off with the milk float and go to the hospital and then she sells the milk float to Camelot sure she gets them <laughs> to like uh be the the fence she fent they're the fence for the milk float <laughs> the Camelot guys <laughs> And they and are then, who stole her bike. <laughs> yeah. And then she figures out who she she puts together that there's this farm that's on the edge of town that's not really a farm. And that like she figures out where the that the milk float is electric and it has a certain amount of range. So she does this kind of Sherlockian deduction yes. about where the milk floats range could possibly be. She realizes there's this farm that's in town that's but kind of like a, a petting zoo. Petting zoo, yeah. Yeah. For for children and so she gathers her friend Jomo and they go out to the farm they sneak out there at night to try and investigate and see what's going on and then they find that in one of their they find the kids that they're missing so they find Ollie and they find um, Katie and there's one other kid too that they find out there so they find the kids and they're all old and shrunken in the face and then somebody's coming in And then this is where you get the reveal of who the baddie is in this book. Wait, I have one question. Uh Is it that Saban lady? Yes, it's Saban. (laughs) 
Very good. It is okay. Siobhan Cavanaugh. She is the Cruella <laughs> who is siphoning the youth off the children and injecting it into herself like Botox. Yes. She was nice. not in charge of, she did not, she was not aware of the milkman selling it off as drugs <laughs> to, to the city's youth. <laughs> she, she just wanted it for the wealthy so that they could all stay young and beautiful. But yeah, it was Siobhan. I was like, ah, I knew it was Siobhan. <laughs> and you have another very horrific scene where the child is like in the barn in a dentist chair. Oh, I know. Getting, the, getting siphoned by Siobhan. It's horrifying. Ah. Oh, God. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm going yeah. to finish. I was, I was really trying last night. Yeah, that was then- that last... I guess 70 pages is really good. <laughs> it's really the, the storyline keeps going. The plot keeps moving. You're like, okay, now we're going here. Now we're going to go there. We're going to get those kids. Yes. Get those kids. <laughs> and we're going to do it all with a broken arm and in a wheelchair. No, no. She's repaired by then. Um, oh, so she, oh, after the, so after the, uh, oh, the broken yeah. arm, she goes to the hospital and she brings, well, she brings Priya to the hospital and hospital, uh, Priya has health insurance and that's a big yes. deal because they wouldn't take her otherwise. But then Ropa goes home and grandma helps heal her up and she uses some of her magic and she sleeps the night and she replenishes and she gets better. And then she does her Sherlockian deduction, realizes the range of the milk float and then makes a plan with Jomo and they go out to the farm. But yeah. Priya, Priya can't go because Priya Priya's in the hospital still recovering. Yeah. So they can... She says something, Priya says something like, well, we can start the process, but it'll give me, take me about three weeks to finish healing myself. <laughs> so, so there is, there are some limitations to the magic, which is nice to have, to see boundaries set. It's not just all powerful all the time. Right. But, because Priya is a healer. Yeah. I did read a book by Orson Scott Card that talked about the process of writing for, for like fantasy. And I think it was. I think it was him, but he, but he said, magic always has to have a boundary and magic always has to have a price associated with it. Mm -hmm. So, so we see the boundaries. Is there a price that you can see associated with the use of magic? Mm, I think the boundary is like, so the, her bone is, is broken. They can set it and she can over time heal it. Like she, like she said, it was going to take her three weeks. I don't know if the price is maybe the time that's going to take her to, to heal it. There was no set like, well, well, I ha- in order to heal this, I have to do this instead. It did seem to me that it took energy for like for Ropa to heal. She had to sleep. She oh, had yes. to rest. So there so was that kind of a, a price of yeah, magic. There's not there. an explicit uh, cause and reaction you just kind of like see like okay there's time there's energy that's taken for certain magics i guess and other things for people to to gain power it's going to be cliche but i'm going to go back to harry potter like what does voldemort give up for more power he Mm. gives up you know a little bit of his soul every time not that he apparently had much of one to begin with but he becomes less and less a person as as he goes farther down that road so i just wonder if there are things like that and you could say the same about saban was was saban kavanaugh always like that or did she become more so as she siphoned away 
these children's potential. Hmm. I wonder if it's a, a thing where you do kind of give up a bit of your soul when you do evil things. So you're able to do more evil things, maybe unspoken like that. Yeah. I feel I like that's for, just a part of humanity. Yeah. I you know, feel like that's a slippery slope with I any, with, yeah. with being alive, you start going down a path of doing things and then it gets easier and easier to do worse and worse things. I don't think that that's necessarily part of a magic system. I think right. that's part of I think the human part of, nature. Of human nature. Condition. Yeah. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Isn't there a part where she comments on that in the book? Like, you know, you would expect the evil proliferates not because good men do nothing, but because they get caught up in it and oh. begin to do it themselves. She does comment she on does something say like that. that. Yeah. So, so I mean, maybe that's the price is that like it consumes the good and the bad alike. Mm-hmm. But has I go back to it has to come from somewhere, like Calendar was talking about and the ice example. It has to come from the, it's like matter is neither created nor destroyed. It has to come from somewhere. So if it's healing energy, maybe it comes from your own self. Mm. Right. Right. I can see that. Yeah. Cause it's just, this world is really interesting in that it didn't feel like a magical world <laughs> throughout a lot of it. It's just every now and then she would find this community that was doing it. It's, so it's as if we all of a sudden started having magic here in our world and it would be motivated by the people who have it. I feel like if it's, you're, it's going to produce evil things, it's coming from a person who's already done bad and they're, and they want to keep doing bad. I, I think I'm like, if there's, cause I don't think people are innately evil, well, maybe some, maybe some, but like, like maybe Ted Bundy, if he had had magic, he would have gone the road of Shabbat. <laughs> but I, I think if like, like, I'm not like, if I had magic right now, I wouldn't go out to suck the lives out of the children and all of say, no, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go trying to suck the lives out of kids. I would try to try to make things better because i feel innately I'm a good person I feel innately we all are (laughs) good people it's just how life changes us I don't know if I'm making this argument sound good (laughs) I don't think I'm getting to the point of my my thought but I feel like it's this world that was created that Kuchu creates I feel like it's um very similar to our world except there's magic in it so if you're a good person you're going to use magic the way you would be as a good person if you're a bad person you're going to use magic as a bad person i think that's power as a neutral force right yes thank you that's (laughs) uh, who you are that motivates the magic (laughs) and that's a lot to leave our listeners with i know (laughs) especially my weird ramblings to get to the point (laughs) but no worries i mean we all have to find our our way in the world and you know in in our thought process as well (laughs) in the sentence (laughs) yeah but yeah i think that's i think that's a really a really good place to to end it like read it see what you what you think about uh what you would do if you had magic powers and would it be innately good or would it be innately evil i you know the potential has to be there before it has 
that's the meaning right. of innateness is that it has to be in there before. But then, you know, you do have the case of like Wilson, the butler who had Stockholm syndrome from the house, mm-hmm. apparently. He was he was so used to his umbilical cord that he got to where he couldn't live without it. Right. Um, he loved the brownie and the tall man. And the tall man. Oh, who is who Shabon who knows? was working with, maybe. Yeah. Well, oh, I oh. didn't catch that. No. <laughs> I have the I think sense she mentioned the tall man when the tall man will come back. <laughs> so I, I think he's the so. big bad of this universe, the tall man. <laughs> there there will be another baddie behind him probably <laughs> do you guys have anything else that you want to add no i think this is a really good discussion on this book yeah <laughs> oh wait who would you recommend it to oh that's a, that is a good question i huh. i think i might recommend it to somebody who's finished a series and wants to toy with the possibility of a new series <laughs> i think i recommend I- it to it a- um, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say, I think I'd recommend it to somebody who liked uh, Mr. Mr. Norrell, with Susanna Clark, uh, Jonathan Strange, and Mr. Norrell. Huh, I've not heard that. Maybe uh, I'll go read it now. <laughs> it's a switch. <laughs> um, I think a teen might enjoy this. I wasn't wondering why it's not a YA book, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I wondered about that too, just because it has um, such a young protagonist, yes. but it does have a lot of adult topics. It does. It Ropa's does. cussing is, yeah, yeah. Ro- Ropa's cussing is pretty intense. They, they have that whole scene through the red light district, the drug use, the thieving, mm-hmm. the human trafficking. There's some pretty adult topics that they get into in this book that I think are yeah. They're just more appropriate for an adult audience yeah. than a yeah, teen yeah. audience. But there's but, so much of it that could be a teen YA. Like if they, like if it were toned down in some places, I bet you it would have passed as a YA. But yeah, I think you're right that that it's yeah the meat market, which <laughs> or no the flesh market. That's what it was, right? The flesh market. That was like wow. That's kind of okay. I get that. Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely an adult. Yeah, so as far as recommendations, I would probably recommend it to adults who like Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This book had a real Harry Potter feel for me, and I think it was partially the sense of place and partially the language. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it would work well there as well. So this is part where we say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a good rating or click the little heart button wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to view our book lists or reviews or suggested reads, that's going to be at uh, our Goodreads group. It's uh, Sapple Escape the Earth. And um, you can write us stories, suggestions, random thoughts, interesting sci-fi, geek culture information. You can send those to sappleescapetheearth at gmail.com, all squished together like one long word. And then uh, join us next month for our discussion of The Mother Code by Carol Stivers. Escapes the Earth.